So Jesus told his friends a story to teach them about prayer. This is from Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. And for a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming to me. And Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to God's children who cry to God day and night? Will God delay long in helping them? I tell you, God will quickly grant justice to them. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Do you know William Shakespeare's play, Measure for Measure? Probably only an English major like myself would know this play. It's not performed very often. Critics call it one of Shakespeare's dark comedies, but it's not performed very often perhaps because there's more dark than comedy in it. Some of the action takes place on death row and the rest of the action in a brothel. And many of the characters are a little too bawdy even for the Elizabethan stage let alone the delicate ears of 21st century Baptists and Methodists. The play is set in Venice, where a corrupt magistrate named Angelo administers the law. And Judge Angelo has sentenced a young man named Claudio to death row. I don't have time to get into why this morning, but there sits Claudio on death row. Claudio's sister Isabella is one of the most beautiful, intelligent, and respected women of Venice, and so Claudio asks her to go sue before Angelo's frightful bench for mercy. And the judge takes one look at Isabella and he is immediately smitten. He tells her that he will release Claudio from death row if she will have sex for him. Isabella, however, is a virgin and chaste as a nun and she refuses the bargain. More than our brother is our chastity, she says. More than our brother is our chastity. Ouch, poor Claudio. This play is terrifying. It's dark, but it's also a comedy. So, spoiler alert, everybody ends up living happily ever after, including Claudio on death row and Angelo the corrupt magistrate. Measure for Measure is a gospel-shaped story, so if you like Shakespeare, this would serve as good devotionals for you for about a week. And if you don't like Shakespeare, don't come anywhere near Measure for Measure. But the point, of course, is that Jesus is neither the first nor the last to tell a story about a powerless woman who comes up against a corrupt magistrate. He himself was mining a rich vein of tradition that was already ancient by the time he came along in the first century, and storytellers since Jesus have been putting it on the page and the stage and the screen ever since. And the way Jesus tells the story, it goes like this. In a certain city, there was 
a widow who was in desperate straits. Jesus doesn't tell us why she was in trouble, but our best guess is that she was homeless because you see in ancient Palestine, widows didn't inherit their dead husband's estate. That property went to the husband's family of origin. She was entitled to live in her former home until she remarried. So our best guess is that her brother-in-law or her father-in-law is trying to toss her out of the house that she's been living in. Jesus knows about widows, you see. His mother was one. And it's this woman's misfortune to appear before an unscrupulous judge. He neither fears God, says Jesus, nor respects other people. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care what the rest of us think. In my mind, I keep seeing Lionel Barrymore as Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life. And she appears as a plaintiff before this unjust judge. Grant me justice against my opponent, she says. And she does not have a prayer. She is a woman, strike one. She's a widow, strike two. And she is utterly alone, strike three. She can't afford expensive attorneys. And so here we have a penniless widow from the south side going up against Mr. Potter. Here we have Atticus Finch going up against 300 years of racism in the American South. She has nothing except her persistence. This is her only chance. It's win this case or starve. She keeps coming back. He keeps denying her. She keeps coming back. She waits for him outside the courthouse at the end of the day and follows him to his car. She follows him to his favorite watering hole at lunch and bends his ear while he's eating. He looks out his window at 10 o'clock in the morning and there she stands on the street corner with a poster saying, give me justice or give me death. And pretty soon she's winning this war of attrition. He doesn't have a chance because she has nothing to lose. Her life depends upon this. And finally he says, this impertinent female is getting on my nerves. I'm going to give her what she wants, not because it's the right thing to do, but because she's giving me a migraine. And then Jesus says, God's like that unjust judge. And so if it was Jesus' goal to keep us off balance, he succeeded, didn't he? High five Jesus. Why, for God's sake, why, for God's sake, would Jesus, trying to teach us what God is like, tell us a story about an unscrupulous, unprincipled judge and say, God is like that, sort of? I gotta tell, this isn't the way I would tell this story. I'd make up a story about a woman who has a case to make before a judge. And he says to her, well, I'd love to help you, ma'am, but the laws of the state of Illinois will not allow me. But his conscience is so bothered by this predicament that he goes home and thinks about it all evening and can't sleep that night and finally comes up with a solution in the morning that will keep both this woman and the state of Illinois happy. Why an unjust judge? Two things to think about while we're looking at this story. Jesus wants to show us a contrast and a comparison. God is like and unlike this unjust judge. Jesus says God is unlike this judge. God is more than this unjust judge. This is the way Jesus wraps up his little story. And will not God grant justice to God's children who call to God day and night? Will God delay long in helping them? I tell you, God will grant them justice quickly. 
This is a form of rhetoric called from minor to major or from lesser to greater. If even an unscrupulous judge eventually, almost by accident, comes up with justice, how much more will God, being good, give what his children want to those who ask him? How much more are the key words in this story? From lesser the judge to greater God. Jesus tells us that God will answer prayer. Sometimes God does. Paul Oster tells this story. It's a true story, he says. It's about a 73-year-old woman who was scared to death to fly. She had panic attacks every time she got into an airplane. Sometimes they were so severe she couldn't breathe. But then her mother becomes deathly ill. And there's no choice for her but to fly across the country to be with her mother. And so her husband buys her a first-class ticket to minimize the discomfort, and her seat is in the first row of the airplane. And she gets on, and she settles herself in her seat, and she grabs the armrest, and she thinks, I'm going to have to get out of here before they bolt this door. But instead, she offers up a prayer. God, please be here. Please show up. Help me now. And she's gripping the armrest, and she's got her eyes tight shut. And then she hears some commotion on the other side of the first-class cabin. And she notices that a woman and a man are escorting an old gentleman to his seat. And the old man takes off his coat and stows it in the bin. And then he flings a scarf, a rakish scarf, around his neck with a flourish. And he's got his back to this woman, but then when he sits down, he looks across the aisle at her, and it's George Burns. <laughs> For those of you who are under 40, there was a movie in 1977 called Oh God, and George Burns played the titular character. This 73-year-old woman says she's never been scared to fly since. Sometimes God shows up. <laughs> so in this little story, Jesus means to give us a contrast. God is more than this unjust judge, but also a comparison. Because sometimes God seems to us an unjust judge, right? Dwelling beyond suns and stars, hidden by the darkness of eternity, with purposes a thousand sermons could never unfold. God has ways we know nothing of. And even Jesus at Gethsemane comes up against this implacable, unlistening presence, right? He offers up his pleas in what must have seemed to him a kangaroo court, and there was nothing but silence coming back. Jesus knows about this. Maybe you've heard the story about the reporter who went to Jerusalem to cover the unrest in the Middle East. And she wants to give a positive spin on this story, something emotional with human interest. And so she pokes around for a little bit. And finally, a couple of different people tell her about this old man who's been coming to pray at the Western Wall every day for a long time, every day without fail. He is legendary for his faithfulness in prayer. And so she goes to the wailing wall, and sure enough, there he is. And she watches him praying at the wall for about 45 minutes, and when he's finished and walks away, she walks up to him, and she says, Sir, Nora O'Donnell, CBS News, can I have a minute with you? 
He says, yes, ma'am. And she says, sir, people tell me that you've been coming here faithfully for a long, long time to pray every day. How long have you been coming here? And he says, I've been coming here for about 50 years. And she says, wow, that's a long time. What do you pray for? He says, I pray for peace and understanding between the Israelis and the Arabs. I pray for an end to the hatred and the rancor. I pray for for our children to grow up in peace and security. And Ms. O'Donnell says, wow, 50 years, that's a long time. How does it feel to be praying every day for 50 years? And the guy says, like I've been talking to a freaking wall. Anybody here have that experience? The world is very sad and very broken, and sometimes it seems as if it is administered by an absentee landlord or a corrupt magistrate. I don't know about you, but I've been reeling from the events of this week. My inner being is as riven as America herself. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. What should I pray? God, forgive my country for its original sin, slavery, perpetrated for 300 years, older than the nation itself. Should I pray, God, help me to understand what it feels like to be a young black man in our cities where you can get shot dead for having a broken taillight? Or God, help me to understand what it means to be a police officer, which is a difficult job under the most ordinary circumstances, but under such withering scrutiny and towering rage, today nearly impossible. Or maybe I should pray, God, get me off my knees because prayer is an inapt and inept response to these problems. This isn't God's problem after all, right? God's given us everything we need for a harmonious and happy existence. A land rich with fertile fields and precious minerals and pockets of energy scattered all about. And a rich if checkered heritage of virtuous convictions. So maybe my prayer, if that is what you want to call it, should be pointed not vertically at God, but horizontally at my neighbor. Maybe my prayer should be that I leave my pampered cloister to reach across to somebody who is very different from myself, my black friend, or my police officer friend, or the new immigrant who doesn't know the language very well. I don't know how to pray these days. But in some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture, St. Paul tells us that God is not an unscrupulous magistrate who only grants our request after we pester him to death but a loving Father who comes to meet us while we're yet far off. We're God's children, and God knows we're not always clear about what we need and what we mean. And so Paul tells us that 
God's Spirit prays for us with sighs too deep for words. The great Canadian preacher Morris Boyd remembers that when his daughter was about four years old, her favorite thing to do was to come into his study and sit at his old manual typewriter and begin banging away on the keys. She'd put a clean sheet of paper in the carriage and she'd start banging away at these random letters. And when she'd filled a page, she rolled it out of the carriage and carried it over to her father and she said, Daddy, what does it mean? Prayer is like that. We take our incoherent thoughts and our stuttering prayers and our comprehensive sufferings to God and say, Father, what does it mean? We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Sometimes it seems like we haven't got a prayer. Or have we? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.